Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second half of our season of Financial Fitness, brought to you by the Old Fashioned Health Network, Good Health, Inside Now. I'm joined by my amazing co-host, co-host, <laughs> Keela Allen. And guys, we have a special guest. Oh, man, special guest hailing in, like I said uh, earlier before we kind of had to restart this. It feels like a friendship now as many times we've gotten together. We bonded. We talked about things that pique our interest. But now we get to bring it to you guys. He needs no further introduction. I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Go ahead, sir. How's it going? Jared, Keela, good to see you guys again. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Let's dive right in. So a little bit about my professional background. So I graduated my undergrad from the Citadel, which is a military college nice. here in South Carolina. And I commissioned straight into the Army, active duty. Um, I did that for four years. And uh, a couple years in, I had my first deployment and halfway through, I kind of realized uh, this wasn't going to be the career that I thought it was going to be. And uh, one of the, the saving moments for me on that deployment mentally was I did some volunteering at the combat aid station uh, with a Captain Turcevich. And uh, me seeing her interacting with patients was like a, a light bulb moment for me. I was like, wait a minute, this desire for me to help people that I've had that I thought was going to be fulfilled in the military, like like healthcare is that thing for me. So I, I took a 180 with my life. I started doing research. What credentialing do I need to do? Uh, I got out of the military after four years and I got a master's uh, in medical science from MUSC. And then I finally got into medical school. So I'm now a second year uh, medical student. Oh, wow. Braden, Braden, wow. Braden, wow. that is amazing. That is amazing. Good stuff. Good stuff. <laughs> and that's it's so funny. Like Keila, when we when we met, when he came here, it was real brief. And uh, you know, we met through friends of friends, but it was the same thing. It was that same passion he just explained, helping people. And what do we do? We like to turn around and we like to help people here. And that's why we love the show. So your passion for helping people from the medical field is only gonna help people here when we educate them on our new topic today that has all the hype in the world. People talk about it every day. It's it's talked about nonstop. But we only hear about the name of it versus the technology behind it. Right, uh, right. But, you know, before we dive off into this topic, Braden, we just got a couple questions, you know, we just want to go through. Kind of like we like to ask everybody, when it comes to being financially fit, what does that mean to you? Yeah, so to me, financial fitness means uh, treating your financial health with the same respect and diligence as you do with your own physical health. In our culture, it's very normal to talk about, you know, what, what food you're eating, how you're getting enough sleep, and all that stuff. But kind of talking about finances is taboo in our culture. And I think somebody that's financially fit understands that taking care of their finances is very important. It's the number one-sided uh, cause of divorce one of the highest cited causes of stress in America is like your finances matter and, and being smart with it really matters. Man, that's so important. Um, Keela, we talk about that all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, do you have anything to kind of say to that Keela? Yeah. It's just, I mean, he's that he's spot on with it. I can tell you that's probably one of the reasons why we click because we understand this thing. Financial fitness is just, it's a lifestyle, just like eating healthy and trying to live a healthy life. It's a lifestyle change. We know how hard that is 
to, especially once we've been exposed to one side of eating or creating health for ourselves or what have you, we, we understand that it is imperative to eat healthy. Well, you have to, like you said, put that same thing when it comes to your finances. So you're spot on with that. It's definitely a lifestyle. Definitely. And he mentioned a key word, too, that, uh, you know, you often hear. That it still makes me cringe to this day, the word taboo. You know, it sounds like it's this scary, like, it's going to take over the world and it just makes you cringe sometimes. But like you said, it's just something we don't often talk about enough. And the more you talk about it, the more comfortable you get with it. The more comfortable you are, the more steps and practices you have to begin going through the process. And that's what it's really all about. Um, so right, you know, right. as we, as you got started through your field, um, Braden, and now you're here, you took a dive into cryptocurrency, as many of us know, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Ethereum, uh, we all know about them. And this is where I can't wait to hear Keela's rebuttals come in and we get started with this process, man. What, what is blockchain technology and how did you get started with it? That's a good question. So, yeah, I've been interested in the crypto space for a while, but I've been mostly focused as a student, like very heavily for the past three years. So I just kind of always talked about it, but never really dove in. But there's a fellow student, uh, Daniel Miller, that I study with all the time. And all of our free time was spent talking about cryptocurrency and then uh over winter break, I had too much free time. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to dive in. Like, I'm going to master this concept. I want to figure out what all the hype is about, what the technology behind it. And uh, when you're talking about cryptocurrency, you're really talking about the application of blockchain technology. So blockchain technology has been around for a while, but it wasn't until uh, Bitcoin that this technology was actually leveraged into a widely adopted product. So simply put, I like to think of blockchain is it's a, it's a technology that allows people to trade without an intermediary. So to, in today's world, you have all these intermediary, intermediaries like Airbnb, eBay, Uber, that they don't actually provide a product. What they do is they provide a service. They connect people and they provide trust, right? If I'm a seller, well, I need to be connected with someone who's a buyer. And if I'm a buyer, well, I want to be able to trust that the money that I'm paying is going to translate to the good or service that I want to buy. So blockchain aims to remove this intermediary, right? So instead of having this trusted third party, instead you'll have this trusted technology that takes the connection and the trust and does it cryptographically. So the simplest form of this, like I said, was Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is simply transactional, right? You have a blockchain ledger, which is basically a whole bunch of computers are running the exact same list or ledger, right? And whenever a transaction goes, say Jared wants to send five Bitcoin to Kila, right? That transaction will go through and every single computer will have that transaction cryptographically, right? It won't say Jared, five Bitcoin, Kila. It'll, it'll have the string of numbers and letters, right? And then there will be a consensus mechanism. So every single computer at the same time will say, hey, 
this is the input that we got. Does everybody else have this one, right? And if somebody has something that doesn't match the consensus, it'll be rejected. So this is kind of the way that blockchain is decentralized, right? There's not like a reference list that everybody's looking at being like, okay, cool. That's where the transaction's coming from. Okay. Okay. So what are your questions on the simple form before I dive in deeper? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, like just to kind of help, I guess, correlate with people, basically how banks talk, you know, you write a check, I write a check to Kilo, I write a check to Braden and I go and deposit it via mobily or via at their bank said holder. It's got to go. It's got to register that those funds are there. As you said in the ledger, ledger, we have a set of transactions somewhere that doesn't say Jared deposited this, although from a, electronic image it captures that and then you have your cryptocurrency that reads the same way posts the same way writes the same way so it is valuable as what it says is deemed is deemed it is worth so it sounds like yeah so it sounds like so it sounds like so it sounds like we need to focus on that part so it sounds like because as we know even with banking just working in banking, we understand, especially with encryption, all that stuff is just not too fine. Even at the end of the day, it's still gonna be hot. So do even though even with blockchain, in the way I understand it, after doing just my own research or what have you, just like Jared said and just like you said, it's just all of those uh encryption and recording, timestamps and all of being on that set of network computers. My thing is we're talking about taking the middleman out, but what about the people that are controlling those computers and have access to those computers? Then what? Or am I yeah. way off in left field? No, that's a very valid question that a lot of people have. So blockchain is an amendable system, right? So you can make amendments, which is like $5 went from Jared to Kila, and then $5 moved again from Kila to Mark, okay? But you can't retroactively change data in there, right? Like I said, that there's this huge distributed network of thousands of computers that have this cryptographic text, right? If you tried to retroactively change it on one computer, well, it wouldn't work. So one attack vector is called a 51% attack, right? If you need consensus, then theoretically, if you can uh, corrupt 51% of the network, then you do have consensus. The problem is, especially something as widely distributed and uh, deeply financially tied as Bitcoin, you would need like billions of dollars of what's called hash rates to be able to do a 51% attack. So the bigger these systems get, the more difficult it is to attack them from that vector. Now you always have people as a vector, right? So there'll be two things that we kind of talk about whenever it comes to the cryptocurrency and uh, it's called a wallet. So your wallet is where you hold your cryptocurrency, right? But there's custodial wallets and non-custodial wallets, right? So you imagine a bank, right? If you have $50,000 in a checking account, well, that's a custodial account, right? Bank of America or Trace or somebody's holding that for you, right? And though they say yes a lot, you still need permission, right? Like, hey, I would like to withdraw this money. Hey, I would like to send this money, right? And they're the custodians of the money, which is good in, in some areas because it's, hey, it protects against fraud and these other things you have insurance. But again, it's not your money. So 
historically, whenever you have these like uh, people run away with money, well, they have these custodial wallets. So if you have a an exchange that is trading U.S. dollars for Bitcoin and Ethereum and Dogecoin and things like that, it's just an exchange, right? But you're not moving your cryptocurrency off of that exchange and say they were laundering money. Well, if the FBI shuts down this exchange and your money was on that exchange, it's gone. So that is like a very real concern that people need to understand the difference between a custodial wallet and a non-custodial wallet. And that's, a, that's very important. Uh, same way. That we, yeah. Yeah. We run our accounts. Put in the, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so and I, I understand that part of it, but I guess what I, what's still not coming together for me is you, you're saying that it's safe and people have to understand the difference between the two, a custodial wallet and a non-custodial wallet. But at the end of the day, in my mind, and I'm just speaking from a, I guess from a simple perspective, how do I protect my wallet at the end of the day? I know with the bank, even with my wallet, whether it's in a custodial or a non-custodial, my funds are backed by the FDIC. They're federally insured. And I don't want any portion, not 51%, not 21%, not 5% of any of my wallet to be affected. But in the event that it does, how are my coins secured? Yeah, so it's very important to know the the kind of rules of making a crypto wallet, right? So say I wanted to create a wallet on any network. The first thing that I'll do is I'll get a notebook and a pen, right? Hard copy, nothing digital. And then whenever I'm setting it up, it'll give me something called a seed phrase. So this is 14 to 24 words, right, in a specific order that I'll write down. And that's basically my backdoor key into my wallet, right? There's no password recovery. There's no website or application that can well, that's allow that's me to scary recover it. That's scary in itself, but keep going. Just keep going. Okay, so you, you take that, and then that's your wallet, right? So you write it down in a couple places, and then you put it in a safe, right? And then that's your attack vector. Right. The only way somebody is going to get to your cryptocurrency is if they get that seed phrase. Okay. So whether they, they scam you and say like, Hey, there's a problem with your account. Give me your seed phrase so we can fix it for you. Or uh, do you want 10 free Ethereum? Give us your seed phrase and we'll send it to your wallet. Right. You are the attack vector at that point. But as long as you don't have any digital copy of your seed phrase, well, it can't be hacked which is why it's very important to not uh, type up a little note on your computer or your phone or take a picture of that seed phrase because whenever someone gets hacked, that's what they're stealing. They're stealing a picture or a note that has that seed phrase. And once you have that, you have a backdoor to get to the wallet and then take it out. So you always keep your seed phrase analog. Same way like uh, when we have our customers that come in, driver's license, they need that, right? That form of identification. They need a social security number in order to go ahead and open up the account. And if they lose this, they have to go through a back door in the process to go ahead and process these things to bring it forth to prove themselves all over again. So, again, I'm seeing a lot of likenesses. I do understand, Kilo, where your concern is about the protection of it. I like to look at the 51% delegators almost like the Supreme Court. That's once they get appointed there or 
make the decision there, that 51% to hold the value of what is deemed that I sent to you is important. It's like into law. You don't want to lose, based on when Brayden and I were talking to Daniel, you don't want to lose that credibility because if you lose that credibility of not valuing or not agreeing to what the cost is and what the said price and value of whichever coin you're sending, whichever transaction is exposed for, that is a huge deal. And then you'll have issues with that being processed. But I think it's a lot of hoops and holes to jump through that people don't want to go through. So therefore it's easier and you know, it's protected um, in a sense, you know, I, I understand that, but I mean, there are some people out there who work diligently every day, figuring out ways to hack and to break into stuff. So I get the, I, I completely understand the only way that your seed phrase to even be hacked or if, if you put it in the form of electronic, if you put it private somewhere digitally, I, I completely understand that, but I'm still not sold. So we probably need to move on into numbers because I'm still not sold on the safety. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So, Brayden, um, we know. So now we know what we need. You need a digital wallet to get these via Coinbase or any trading pl- uh, trading platform app. Again, guys, this is strictly educational purposes. This is we are not fiduciaries or advisors. Let the people know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Brayden, what is Bitcoin? What is Ethereum? Like, I, I mean, for our listeners that are first time in here, what is it? And what do they do? We know, we see how they're moving up. We see it has value. But what is their specific purpose and what do they do? Uh, Keel, would you mind uh, repeating that? It was cutting in and out a little bit for me. Oh, that was my question. Sorry, could you hear me? Uh, what? Uh-oh. I guess the next question that we kind of had was like, what problems will cryptocurrency so- solve? And what is Bitcoin and Ethereum and their purposes? Yeah, so let's start with uh, what Bitcoin and Ethereum is. So Bitcoin is like the genesis cryptocurrency. It's called a first-generation cryptocurrency, and it solves one, one problem. So whenever I think about cryptocurrencies and the many projects, and there's thousands, which is a very muddied uh, field in itself, I ask the question, what is this cryptocurrency solving? What problems is it solving? How is it solving these problems? And is it doing a better job than everyone else, right? The, the reason uh, cryptocurrency is such a, a volatile market is because it's a speculative market. And what most of these cryptocurrencies are doing, they're all trying to solve just one problem. You have things like Bitcoin, Litecoin, Bitcoin Cash, and I could name hundreds of hundreds more. They're, they're trying to solve one problem, and that is, how do we make a better uh, financial system, a better currency, right? But they're only thinking one-dimensionally with like transactions. So some cryptocurrencies will have faster transactions per second. Some will have more uh, hardy cryptography, which means they have larger block sizes. But they're only trying to solve one problem. Then you have something like Ethereum, which is a second-generation cryptocurrency, and that's trying to solve more problems. So Ethereum introduced the idea of smart contracts, which basically takes a blockchain and moves it to the next level, right? So whenever you hear terms thrown around like decentralized finance and NFTs, 
all of that space is talking about smart contracts. So basically, what smart contracts do is it leverages the blockchain technology of uh, not being able to retroactively change any data, right? And it basically makes a contract. So say you wanted a service. Say you wanted, Kila, your uh, lawn mode, and there was a verifying lawn mowing service, and you took your one Ethereum and you locked it in a contract, and you gave it two days of expiration, saying, like, if you don't do this job in two days, the contract is up. Well, if there's a verification way of doing this in this hypothetical situation, then once the person mows your lawn, your the money will be released to them, right? So it's this, the person mowing your lawn doesn't have to trust you and you don't have to trust them because the smart contract is doing the work. So it does this through something called oracles. Basically, whenever you have off-chain data, and you want to bring it on chain, say like uh, the easiest example is sports betting, right? So I bet Jared uh, 50 Ethereum that uh, the Knicks are going to win tonight, right? So you have an Oracle that's basically taking the data of like all the sports games that are going on. And once the game is up, it'll check. It's like, okay, who won? Boom. The Knicks won. Okay. Smart contract engages and pays me out. And if they lose, then he'll get paid out. But basically, the second generation cryptocurrency like Ethereum is a second generation because it brings in the idea of smart contracts, which has a whole ecosystem of ideas. That's how you can achieve these non-fungible tokens, which are this crazy art space where people are spending millions of dollars on digital art. That's its own thing. But yeah, that is the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Yeah. I follow a podcast that talks a little bit about that and we can dive on to that in a later series when we meet up. But, um, okay. that is, that's kind of like the questions you want to know, right? That's, that's what you want to know when you, before you get ready to get started into this, before I get ready to invest and understand in anything, I first want to know what it's about. You know, we look up good companies when we talk about our traditional stock market, but you can't look up a company like Ethereum or Bitcoin or XRP or uh, Cardano or Dogecoin or Litecoin, as we said. You can't look them up, but you can look up their purposes. Now, when it comes to understanding the smart contract, that's where a little bit more education is going to have to be broken down and explained because that's really more... Well, how would you describe that, Braden? That's more, I guess, uh, detail as to what you specifically want, if you want to trade a specific coin or or get a service for a specific coin, how does that process work? Having trouble hearing me? Yeah. Yeah. Now you're I don't know, yeah, I don't, yeah, it, so, it's really clear for Kilo, but for you it just cuts out. In and out. Uh, I think yeah. I was just Go ahead. He was just asking, I guess, um, you know, he was elaborating on the whole notion of all these different coins right there. Yeah. Um, like those coins, XRP, Cardano, um, Ethereum, Bitcoin, all these different coins. And basically, I guess in a sense, he's asking how would you, because you will have to, we, we can research those things. Um, or what have you, but when you get into like understanding, um, the Oracle and those contracts and all that, 
what would you say? That's on another level of informing yourself on getting that information. So what would you call, what would you say an individual may need to do to really, especially in terms of investing, to do to get a better understanding for themselves there? I guess? Yeah. 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 So that's a very good point. As a person new to the space, how do you get comfortable enough to actually invest your money? So I think right. the, the most the most conservative answer would be do what the institutional investors are doing. For example, Grayscale is a multi-billion dollar investment firm that is investing in cryptocurrency. So it's like, okay, what what kind of holdings does Grayscale have? Well, they have 75% Bitcoin, 15% Ethereum, 5% Cardano, and then a half a percent of a whole bunch of other things, right? right? So from their perspective, for their customers, they believe, hey, this is the most stable bet. This has produced the most reliable returns historically, right? And this is the horse that they're, they're backing, right? So if you don't right. feel like you have the capability uh, to break down all of these projects and find one that is viable, then do what the institutional investors are doing. The problem is people see, oh, wow, from 2014 to 2021, Bitcoin had a thousand, 10,000, 25,000% growth, and they want to chase that. Well, the it's only way you're going to be able to. Yeah, it's, it's very hype. And the only way you're going to chase those like hypothetical gains are going into these very speculative assets, which are basically the equivalent of penny stocks on the stock market, right? You're not yeah. going to be able to invest in an Amazon or an Apple and get a hundred at your investment. Well, maybe right. you can by playing penny stocks, but like no good investor is going to do that. And the problem is you said it, Absolutely right. It's all about the hype. When I said earlier that all of these cryptocurrencies, well, a, a large portion of these cryptocurrencies are trying to solve the exact same problem. When they all do just about the same thing, the only way they can differentiate is through marketing and hype, right? What makes yes. Litecoin more attractive than Bitcoin or Bitcoin yes. Cash? Well, yes. who's endorsing it, right? Who's right. saying they use it? Who's hyping it up? Who's where do you see it on Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that? Right, so you have right. like this huge vested financial interest to make bots and like sponsor uh, influencers to promote your coin. Because if you were the, the creator of this coin, well, you just want a whole bunch of people to get interested in it. And then, okay, cool. You made a couple hundred thousand million dollars and then you dump the coin. That's what happens over and over because people FOMO, fear of missing out into these coins because it's like, whoa, look at this parabolic increase. It's done a hundred times in one week. Dogecoin. <laughs> yeah, hey, exactly. I, so, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but you're right. I mean, like you're hitting the nail right on the head. So many people were saying like, oh, I'm going to retire. Retirement is looking early. And I'm saying to myself, you got, no, you are foolish. And I'm not talking about anyone, but I'm like, you cannot get caught up in the hype of these things. Like you don't understand any of the definition behind it. Like none of the research behind this. I'm like, oh my God. I, I, it, it, whew, oh my God. Okay. I'm off my rant. 
<laughs> yeah, and it's very frustrating that you have uh, these very influential, well-respected uh, people like Mark Cuban and Elon Musk typing up these coins, right? Like, I, I, I really respect Elon Musk. And if I wasn't into cryptocurrency, one of the people that I respect most in the world is saying, like, doge this, doge that. Like, well, of course I'm going to invest in it, right? Because I really respect this guy and he's right. talking about it. So it must be a sound investment. But for everybody who's listening right now, Dogecoin is not a sound investment because it is an inflationary asset, right? So when Bitcoin was created, they created it to where there is a fixed cap. Right. There's only a certain amount of fit of Bitcoin that can ever be mined. Right. That is why theoretically the value will grow in the same right. way that you have a rare asset like gold or silver. It's because there's right. only a certain amount of it. So it's valuable. Right. Okay. Right. But whenever they created Dogecoin as a joke, they copy and pasted the Bitcoin code and then they changed it to make it inflationary to mean you can continually make millions and millions and millions and millions of Dogecoin for the rest of time. Just like the US dollar, Dogecoin is inflationary. It becomes less value, less valuable every day because it's a little bit technical, but it's whenever you're mining Litecoin, you basically get Dogecoin for free. So yeah, it's not only is it bad because it's inflationary, but like 75% of the Dogecoin is held by like a handful of people, right? So like five or 10 people could just sell off all their Dogecoin and completely tank it and zero it out. Right, right. right. Which is which is completely the opposite of the whole uh, cryptocurrency, right? Because we're trying to move into the whole decentralization, right? So you would not exactly. want just only a few people to, ho to hold it, although there will be a limited amount. I hope I'm saying there. I hope I'm making sense. No, that's it's right. Like, yeah. I'm just like, people don't, like, they have no understanding. And that's the sad part about the whole mm -hmm. situation. Because people, want, they follow the hype and they don't do the research. And there's so much misguided and incorrect information out there based on people in their, like, not really researching, like a first-generation coin like Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, that was absolutely awesome. We have more episodes coming intact with this. This is just the first of a two, three, four part series. We're going to be breaking down. We're going to go into non-fungible tokens as well. NFTs, as he just explained. And we're going to talk about those stocks as well. Uh, grayscale really quickly. GBTC is that um, symbol for that and for the ticker symbol for the Ethereum. I believe it is E-T-H-E. I just looked it up today. It's $18. Grayscale Bitcoin is actually down $25 from January. So it's at $25. Wow. So super affordable, super process that you want to get started in and it moves slow. Kayla, if you want to feel more comfortable about it in the stock market, but like everything else, when it comes to getting financially fit and like Dogecoin to the moon, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode of financial fitness. I'm your host, Jared Myers, joined by my co-host Kayla and our wonderful guest today, Brayden. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Look yeah, I love being here. It's fun, guys. Look forward to working with you, man. Tell, hey, Brayden, tell people where they can find you and um, follow you and your company and things like that. 
Yeah, so I'm actually a validator on the Cardano blockchain. So if you want to figure out what that's all about, learn more about that technology, uh, you can find me at medicalstakepool.com, S-T-A-K-E, pool.com, and uh, learn more about us and the the charity we support. Uh, It's a really good project. Man, thank you so much. We'll have all this information posted in the show notes, guys, on the podcast that's posted on Apple, Amazon, and Google Podcasts. This is the Old Fashioned Health Network. Good health inside and out. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.